Hi, folks. When I was speaking to Brooke Turner about his book, Independence Day, in the last pod, he highlighted a statement by Monique Ryan's campaign manager that the Independence Day movement was a social movement, not a political movement. Now, that sort of blew my mind a bit. So um, I'm very happy to say that Anne agreed to, um, to join me to uh, discuss this and many other interesting topics. Um, Anne um, was doing a PhD in conservative Canadian politics when she came to Australia in her mid-20s and co-wrote a book on the Hawke-Keating government called Beyond the Protective State, published in 91. She became a professor of Australian politics at Melbourne Uni, specialising in the political economy of global trade and published a book called Australian Politics in the Global Era in 1998, which I went, how come I have never met you? Because I wrote, I started writing a book in 1998 about Australian politics in the global era called Off the Rails, the Pauline Hanson trip. She took early retirement in 2015 to become a watercolour painter. Um... How on earth did you upend your life to to do this? How did it begin, Anne? I, I guess uh, I met um, an Australian when I was doing my PhD at the University of Toronto and he spent one winter in Canada and said, I can't do this. <laughs> so I came to Australia with him. And then, uh, landing, then... Land, yeah, landing here in Kew, which is in Kuyong in 1985. So I've been here for a very long time. And, and how did you, and why did you drop the watercolours, drop this, you know, really significant change of life, change of perspective, and get stuck into political science, I suppose, on the ground floor? Oh, yeah, in Monique's campaign. Look, it happened during, it happened, it happened during lockdown. Uh, and I, I'd always been really upset about climate change, but it wasn't the area that I was specializing in, in my academic work. But, you know, the the, the fires were the sort of last straw, 2019, mm. 2020. Me and too. of course, <laughs> followed by... Um, I spent all of that year of lockdown, that first year in Melbourne, we were locked down for most of that year, um, doing a massive painting that was bigger than me, which was... Um, <laughs> about the plague it was about the pandemic but it started with the bushfires up in the far left corner mm. and and then it, so you know we were in lockdown for a long time and people like me got on facebook and we discovered our neighborhood facebook pages you know q3101 mm. and we and the council elections were on so this is october 2020 and the count, some of the councillors, we, we had no idea. None of us cared about local council. We're talking away. And councillors would start to drop into the chat. And, and they were, like, really right wing. And it shocked <laughs> us. And, and we started talking on Facebook amongst each other and the, uh, saying, well, what, you know, why are we still doing the Lord's Prayer at council? And why is the climate action plan not very convincing? And why aren't they flying the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags at council buildings? And the councillors that were on that page who thought they were there for the free lemons, the lost cats, and, you know, to try to come across as nice people, turned really feral on us and, and he even threatened to sue the administrator of the page. 
And we all, and then at the same time, you know, this was our sort of the, the rebirth of the, uh, of the innocence. And at the same time, Tim Smith, who was the local member for Q, which is one of the two electorates in the federal seat of Kuyong, started um, really attacking and criticizing lockdowns and mask wearing. And that made us furious because you know, we're in an electorate where there's a lot of social solidarity. People think, look, we're all in this together. None of us are very happy, but, you know, we're trying to do the right thing by each other. And our local MP is absolutely uh, criticizing us for Mm. trying to do the right thing. And so we said to each other, when lockdown is over, let's meet in a local library and let's talk about how we're going to channel our anger. And so we met at the beginning of 2021 in the local Q library. And out of that meeting, we formed Voices of Kuyong because the only kind of example that we had of how to channel our anger into some positive um, action was Kathy McGowan. And we, so, and that was a great example. Indai had inspired us all. And at, at exactly the same time, Kathy McGowan was offering a community conference to people. And so the timing was exquisite. Um, it's important to know that we actually had a um, an independent candidate, the first true teal independent candidate, ran in Kuyong in 2019. His name was Oliver Yates. Uh, and this was at the same time that Zali Stegel was running for the first time in Warringah and, and Karen Phelps. But um, lots of us hadn't been involved in that campaign. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't the, the, when we all got together, the first thought was not, we've got to get, we've got to get behind it independent. And, and in fact, the people in that room that met were Greens voters, ALP voters, um, some disaffected liberals. So most people had come from a party background of some sort or, or a party mm-hmm. affiliation. Mm-hmm. So we hadn't thought, we had not begun with this idea that we were going to run an independent. And in fact, our whole plan had been about how are we going to get rid of Tim Smith? Cause he does not represent us. And so, somebody pointed out there was a federal election first before the <laughs> state election. And um, yeah, it kind of took off from there. A group of us formed a, a steering committee. We formed voices of Kuyong. We went to, we attended Kathy's conference on Zoom and then we went straight back into lockdown again in Melbourne. That was the the Delta lockdown. And we thought, oh, we're finished. You know, we can't do kitchen con- table conversations. We can't talk to people. But but then we thought, oh, we might as well give it a crack to do them over Zoom. Yeah. So through that long Delta lockdown, we ran kitchen table conversations over Zoom. So that was sort of through July and August. And we came and then we started to invite people to speak to us. We invited Kaz Samaras, who is a political demographer who runs Redbridge polling firm. We invited him to come and talk to us about the changing demographics of Kuyong and whether it was even possible to get a different kind of representation in Kuyong. And he assured us it was. Uh, then we tried to get, uh, oh, then Julia Banks came and spoke to us about what it was like to run as an independent. So we were running Zoom activities. We were running kitchen table conversations. And then we came to a view that 
uh, it was August, that we better start looking for an independent candidate because there, there, we came to a strong view that none of us wanted to get behind a party. That wasn't where our community was at. Uh, we knew that Oliver had um, built a good solid base for us to, to work from. And so we, be, we, we began to work on our networks to try to find a candidate for, to stand for Kuyong in the federal election. And then that was running up to August then, August of last year. It, it reminds me of James Matheson standing in, in um, Warringah in 2019. There, there seems to be, a and, and Alice Thompson in McKellar in 2019, Oliver Yates, um, who we, we covered. We ran a No Fibs Independence Day campaign in 2019, so we, we covered, we covered um, Oliver. And it just seems to be in in a number of seats a two stage process that the, the first independent gets a database, gets a group of people, and that's almost a stepping off point. Would you see that as as important in in how you won the unwinnable seat? That 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 was one of two things that was crucially important. And Oliver was um, we we went to Oliver when we couldn't find a candidate, and he was incredibly helpful he said look I've got my database let's 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 write an email (laughs) to them all so Oliver and I wrote an email together to say you know the the giant is is awakening again and um, we got a great response and then we thought well we still don't have a candidate though this is like September October and I said well let's try fundraising from your database to run an ad in the age let's just do mm. let's approach this like a, a, a recruitment um we raised money really fast for that and together voices of kuyong and oliver's campaign um organization which was kuyong independence uh, ran an ad in the age uh, on the last day of october and um, tim smith our state mp who is the one who originally um antagonized us into action, smashed his car in a drunk driving accident into a fence that day. So that kind of took care of his career, <laughs> leaving us to really focus on Josh Frydenberg. Um, you, you, you said to me uh, that Kathy McGowan was your lodestar, not Zali Stegel, and um, the book makes it crystal clear that the, the Sydney way of, of, of doing Independence Day was – very, very different than the Melbourne way. The, the, the Sydney way, they had their voices group, but then they had a, a group of sort of high-powered sort of one percenters, you know, find a, a candidate, whereas you've run a, a much more, you've had a selection committee, you did an ad, uh, a, a much more sort of grassroots or, or I don't know, formal formal way of, of doing community politics how, how do you assess the differences yeah. and and well, and also why do you think yeah. they're so different for sure I, I mean we we also looked as Ali too because she gave us the faith that it could also happen in an urban setting yeah. but we're really conscious that Waringa was really different to Kuyong uh, apart from anything else they've got beaches and things <laughs> we've just got a muddy river and creeks but but to to be serious um what we had in Kuyong, that first of all, the people that formed Voices of Kuyong were not the the rich and the powerful. They weren't the um, you know 
we didn't have fine houses with beautiful art in them. We weren't opera goers. I mean, it was a group of us. It was a retiree, uh, uh, a young woman who worked at the Burnett Institute, um, who used to be my former student, an IT guy at a girls' school, um, Rob Bailey, who had um, was in the ADF at the time and working on um, um, storm responses. That's Rob um, Bailey. Yeah, course. that's right. The, the, so, the son of the the son yeah. of the former Victorian premier, who became your uh, volunteer, volunteer coordinator manager. of literally yeah. an army, an army, two thousand people. It take mm. it took somebody with ADF uh, organizational skills to to organize that month. But but you see, we yeah, we were like we were young people of humble means. You know, largely I'm talking about people of of humble means, like living in a crappy apartment and stuff in the electorate so so that was really different to Warringah where they could where they were starting um with people with PR skills and professional comms people and um yeah we were a we were a ragtag bunch of of total rank newbies and young people but but what we had in Kuyong and and this is what I think made it possible for Monique to do the unthinkable is that there is tremendous social capital that already existed in this electorate. Uh, Lighter Footprints was uh, one of the first community climate change organizations in the country, started 18 years ago. They had 3,000 members. Grandmothers for Refugees, who were literally what they sounded like. And they would go out in their purple t-shirts every week and hold a vigil in front of Josh Frydenberg's electorate office. You know, and he, he never let them in. Um, the, the, the schools, as you know, Margot, it's, I think uh, Kuyong has the highest concentration of secondary schools in the country. Now, at most and most of these are, you know, expensive private schools. But a lot of them are run by religious orders, like um, one of the schools is run by the Brigidine nuns, and they've been really prominent in the refugee movement, and you know, in, in terms of um, advocating for a humane and speedy treatment of asylum seekers. The Loretto nuns are a really progressive order. That's that, those are the nuns who taught Monique, in the sense that that you know maybe you had a bad experience with the Loretto's, but you know big promoters of girls' education and equality and respect for women. We had the we've got the Leo Beck Center here in in uh, Kuyong. That's a really progressive um, shtetl, you know, um, and they represent um, a part of. Um, Judaism that's quite progressive and embracing of of difference. Mm. And they hosted Monique several times. We've got the Kuyong Climate Action Coalition. So all of this was massive social capital already existing in the community. People who had um, been involved in organizing and advocating for progressive causes for a very long time. Mm. And they were all nonpartisan groups, but these, like these groups, not not Leo Beck, not the nuns so much, but the lighter footprints people, the grandmothers for refugees. These were very large groups. They all came to support Monique mm. on her campaign. Mm. So mm. It, it's it was extraordinary, um, and it meant that when it came, 
our kind of little, very small team of total amateurs, we were carried along by a community of highly competent people with really strong social capital. The other thing is, is that in their day jobs, these folks were doctors and lawyers and researchers and IT pros and accountants and engineers. And so they they didn't need to be told what to do. I, I used to walk into our, our, our funny little headquarters, which was in a, an old bank, and there, there would literally be 50 T-shirted volunteers in there doing things. I had no idea what they were doing, but they were entirely self-organizing. We didn't have to ever say, like, uh, Monique's signs were destroyed a lot um, mm. during the nights on our on the campaign. We had um, thousands of core flutes out on lawns. And so a group of a group of people, unbeknownst to me, who's the campaign manager, yeah. they organized themselves to have a flying team of people that will go out first thing every morning and clean signs. And and mm. they, they were, you know, they completely organized themselves, figured out the best way of doing it, figured out how to contact each other quickly to say where they needed to go to. This happened across every activity in the campaign. Um, people that were moving merchandise out the door, you know, T-shirts, we couldn't keep up with the demand for t-shirts and bucket hats and dog coats and but there was a group of really capable women that just said we know what we're doing leave it to us and they didn't they did it you know we never needed to worry about that and those two those two women have gone on now and are running a big hard rubbish recycling um effort so this is a there was social capital there and there's been social capital created too one of the uh, we just we need to go back a bit actually because after you you know the the committee had had selected Monique yeah. you said um, okay that's it for me um, I'm going <laughs> I'm going to Yass with my husband to pick up our border collie and good luck with it and when you came back nothing had happened and they couldn't find a campaign manager and the whole thing was a rabble and you just had to say all right, well, I suppose it has to be me. And, and the way you talk about the experience, it was very decentralised. Again, totally different from a couple of seats in, in Sydney where, for example, Wentworth Independent, this very high-powered group, had, had a campaign, professional campaign apparatus ready to go once they found their, their candidate, a, a completely different, more corporatised, top-down model. Um, so, so again, does why was Kuyong so different, and and how on earth did your radical trust leave it to people to do it for themselves? Why do you think that came together in Kuyong? Because Kuyong was never considered winnable, was it? It was never considered winnable. I think that's true. We we were just trying so hard to win it. We didn't pay any attention to what people were saying about whether we would do it or not. In fact, I was a bit annoyed when, you know, when people were telling me in the last week, um, people who'd been sort of supportive were saying, well, we're not going to win. I was, what do you mean we're not going to win? <laughs> but it's, I think that I'm really glad that you ter- use the term um, radical trust because 
at the beginning, and because we were new, we knew we'd been infiltrated by liberals because we yeah. we were so open. We didn't charge a membership for people yeah. to join. Yeah. We literally we had a, a Slack page. You know, this is like a plat open a platform um, that people use for project collaboration and mm. and stuff. Anybody anybody could join it, and people talked freely about. Hmm. things in the campaign on it and we knew that that meant that there were liberals getting a lot of information about our campaign well, I, I do that activity. i do yeah. that if i was in the liberal party yeah absolutely of course. of course but we thought if we run in secrecy then well part of our watchword was that that radical trust and, and because people proved that that they were deserving of that trust because they were so capable and there was hmm. so much initiative and and um, someone gave us some really good advice early to, was to throw away our passwords. Um, mm. And so we, we literally, we literally did that. And, and that way, you know, it gives everybody an extraordinary sense of ownership and, yes. and belonging. Yes. Um, and another thing that struck me as a contrast was it didn't really come through in the book, but I found out a lot more later was that, some of the, the seats in Sydney, they, they um, employed very, very big names in corporate branding and data research and even an archetype of the right candidate, whereas your your little group of amateurs chose your slogan, Mon, Mon for Kuyong and <laughs> Kuyong, the climate is changing. Um, you didn't go with that. You, your only data really was polling to... to to let you know the vibe and, and where the momentum shifts were. So it's a much different mix, isn't it, of, of, of you know, everyone says that you go from a, a Voices for group to a campaign and all of a sudden it's a start-up and, and the professionals have to take yeah. over. But Kuyong didn't do that. They, they stayed grounded in the amateur and the community and the vibe of the thing, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, to use Josh's quote. Yeah. Yes, look, yes. Look, look, Margo, I got to, I got to level with you. I mean, we, uh, I think you're talking about Popularis, which I know is the um, the company that I think they were they managed Allegra's campaign. I approached them in November because you know I've never run a campaign. I've never even been a member of a political party before. Mm. You know, I gave out flyers for um you know in the kevin 07 election election i letterboxed you know and then i letterboxed for oliver yates in 2019 but that was the full sum total of my on the ground political experience so i did ask popularis if they could like manage our campaign because i wasn't going to do it i was going to yes to get a border collie and go back into retirement but they said they couldn't they were they were too busy with the sydney campaign so we were on our own um yeah and and yeah and we made it work so um we did have like i i know you've got issues with climate 200 but they they sent once a week we met with one of their camp young organizers who had worked uh, previously for the greens and that was a marvelous support to our little mm. team because mm. we we would just ask them questions like mm. do we do we need to get bunting for the booths on election day. like how much should we order yeah and it then it became and then it and just to help us and around there's a lot of agony around things like how to vote cards you know because our independent monique didn't direct her preferences we didn't do preference None of them deals. Did. We, 
Yeah, yeah exactly. It's part of the ethos of being an independent. And so there was a lot of discussion about, you know, do we leave the boxes empty or do we do what Zali did, question marks, or do we do what Kathy McGowan did, which was to blur out the numbers. So just things like that, being able to talk to experienced people who we trusted uh, was, uh, it was really, really comforting. And I would really look forward to that, that weekly hour <laughs> To getting just getting advice or being able to have a whinge and a moan. So you you, you gave me an extra, extraordinary anecdote when we we spoke before this interview that um, you decided to leave the other boxes blank on your how to vote, which is um, a lot of campaigns thought was very risky because some people yeah. would just think to vote one. So what what your pre poll and your poll workers did is they sang a song as they handed out, vote <laughs> yeah. one, Monique, fill in the yeah. other boxes. Like it's just, it's a, it's, it's yeah. a very, it's a unique campaign, Kuyong, isn't it? It's different to every other campaign. Yeah. It's, yeah, we it's wild. It's, it's a rabble. It's, it's, it's just this incredible roiling energy for change that yeah. it, it just, uh, it, it was a little different, I think, from the, the other campaigns. It's, uh, we certainly felt that. I mean, and Monique was... Monique was the perfect candidate. Like Monique was reflected the campaign and the campaign reflected her, which was um like, <laughs> like she was Monique was shambolic in her own glorious way as well. Like she would try to swim early in the morning. There was a the local yeah. pool was right behind our headquarters. Yeah. And then she'd come in with her hair, you know, she's got an amazing head of hair. It'd be all wet, so it would be huge. And she would have a baguette in her hand and she would eat the whole baguette and there'd be crumbs everywhere. And, and you know, and she's a doctor, you know, she's supposed to have that. She's supposed to be the one with a healthy diet. But she was like uh, her stamina and her energy. And we lit we literally just had to keep carbos going into her to, to be able to keep up with her. But there, and she was funny. She would roar with laughter. And when things would go wrong, you know, we never dropped our bundles. We we would just, we would laugh. But her gift, and this is what we sensed in her the very first time we ever met her. She has, she truly listens to people. Like she is extraordinary. And watching her uh, campaign in the streets, even though she was always terrified because she always would say, what if somebody asks me a question that I don't know the answer to, which was, you know, almost always at the beginning. But she she has a great um, gift of connecting with people. Like she's mm. warm and she's honest, mm. and people people love that. And mm. we, we said from the very beginning, we're not going to try to get her into like fancy clothes and matching suits, or try to get her mm. into the hairdresser. We're just going to let Mon be Mon because she is charismatic and warm and funny and and. We always said if Monique could mean every single person in Kuyang, we know we'll win. So that was that was pretty much our campaign strategy in a nutshell. So so tell us about these various politicians that gave you a ring just before launch and said, uh, you can't launch now and you can't launch with that photo because her hair's a mess and it's got grey roots. Yeah. Um, you know, like, absolutely sort of picks it in a way about about the difference between old and new. Um 
why did you decide to go let mon be mon and say oh to to hell with it to hell with all that image making yeah that's a good question the two people who called me to say that i think it was a full court press one is a journalist and one is a politician and they're they're both dear friends and (laughs) normally i would respect and listen to them but i just thought no it's different it's not like that in kuyong and in our own funny way we're like indai and i think and i thought of kathy and i thought you know kathy was always her own woman Mm. and monique's pretty powerful personality she's really smart she's a great doctor and she has a really hard job. I'm not going to try to zhuzh her up or turn mm. her into somebody that she's not. And so that was the first time where I just thought I'm going to have to back my own judgment mm. in the face of advice from people who know much better. And w- there was a few times in the campaign where we, we just decided to back our own, our gut feeling or our intuition and ignore mm. expert advice. And mm. each time we did, I'm really glad that we did. It turned mm. out well. Yeah, I mean, Brooke, Brooke makes the point in the book that, you know, you've got to have a a, a, a sort of professionalised campaign of t- to some extent, but you've also got to have that genuine grassroots engagement because all, all money and branding doesn't doesn't make the... Like it doesn't work. It's a, it's a twofer, which gets back to your point about mm. is it a social... It's a social, not a political movement. I guess I'd call the book and, and my experience covering it over the years is a, 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 a politicisation of a social movement without destroying the the energy that, that created it, the zeitgeist shift in the community that created it. How, how do you explain your, your judgment that it's a social, not a political movement? Yeah, no, Margot, I, I reckon that's a really fair call um, on your part. I to me, it was a social movement because it wasn't top down. Um, yeah. You know, you think of a political movement, there's leadership yeah. and, you yeah. know, you got your Trotskys or whatever. And you got but, your hierarchy and your top down management. Exactly. Exactly. We had none of that. It, we, it really it really did start with this group of grumpy people you know, who met in the library and said, let's do something. And, um, and. And it's interesting that most of those people who were on formed the steering committee for Voices of Kuyong were the people that formed the core campaign team for Monique, and who um, some of them are now working in her camp in yeah. her electorate office, and some of them went on to run the state campaigns. So, like, it's extraordinary. But um, to go back to your question about the social movement, it, it was it, it's the it was so loosely organized. Um, even though we, we had, Rob Bailey's skills were tremendous in in organizing 2,000 volunteers to be at polling booths and to door knock every house in the electorate. Um, th- that that required tremendous organization. But the movement itself, like walking into the headquarters and seeing 50 people doing different things, and I had no idea who they were, but they all said, relax we've got this don't worry about it you go do what you have to do to but everybody knew that they were working towards a common purpose and everybody said the same thing um, I've never done anything like this before yeah. yeah and that's to me what was so extraordinary and that's to me what made it feel like not politics uh it was people who were um yeah some people were angry dismayed 
but Monique's campaign gave them a positive, um, uh, like a focus, an objective, mm. a shared mm. objective that people could get on board with. So not just people who came from other parties and, you know, most people my age did have a prior sort of political preference or affiliation, but also young people who came and were really excited and energized and engaged in a way that young people don't usually get about politics. And also polit people who would say, I hate politics. I hate the political parties, uh, but this doesn't feel like politics. It feels like, um, organized joy and optimism. Yeah, uh, uh, someone who's close to the, the Indi situation agrees with your, your quote and says, look, the Indi way, you don't get four successful elections with growing volunteers and, and more and more decentralised hubs that do their own thing through radical trust. You, 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 if, if, if you haven't got that, this person said they, they didn't think it would last the movement. What do you think about that? I completely, I completely agree with that analysis. Uh, yeah, it's it's it is from below. It, it's carried yeah. from below. Right. So this gets to the the question of the branding of the movement. How do you define it? I mean, the definitions yeah. shift all the time, and the adoption by the mainstream media and, and by Climate Two Hundred of the the teal branding, and probably the Climate Two Hundred teal branding, given given teal became Climate Two Hundred yeah. in the state election. Um, do you have any concerns about that excluding or, or even if someone said to me, I think it was my, my, um, my colleague Wayne, that if you adopt a colour, you're adopting a tribe and that could turn off people of yeah. other colours who in safe liberal and, and national seats are coming together to, 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 to stop a, a, a very important gridlock, say, on climate change or integrity. Do you have any this yeah. is obviously an ongoing debate in the in the movement, yeah. but do you have any opinions on it? I, um, I do, um, and and again, there are multiple sort of opinions. Um, I'm really, I think, first of all, that teal was first used by Oliver Yates in Kooyong in 2019. Ah, I was <laughs> going to ask you how you got your colour. His wife, Jackie, is an interior designer. Like, you wouldn't want to rely on Oliver to choose a colour. No. Uh, no. And, and, but um, Jackie Jackie helped choose that. And the criteria was it can't be can't be blue, red or green. Those colours are taken. It sure as hell can't be yellow because that was, you know, Clive Palmer. Um, orange is in dye. Uh, and so I think Jackie came up with the the teal which was meant to represent uh, you know somewhere between the the liberals of Kuyong and and the the greens representing environmentalism but also importantly because it just looks great and it mm. really stands out mm. in a crowd it's very mm. eye catching uh, and so that was and so we felt good about um, Mon being happy to use teal because we thought ah we're carrying on the um, the Kuyong tradition but I also called Zali's at the beginning of Mon's campaign to check to make sure that Zali was comfortable with us using it because I didn't want her to feel like we were kind of ripping off her. Oh, no, Zali's turquoise. Zali's turquoise. Sophie Scomps is, is light blue. Yeah, light blue. Allegra, Allegra is, Allegra's very yeah. unique colour was chosen by exactly. her uh, design assistant, yeah. Bianca. Yeah. Like, 
Exactly. And Kate Cheney was sort of um, uh, more like Sophie's colour, I think. No, no, um, aqua, but they called it um, Indian Ocean Blue. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Look, I think the issue is the teal became a shorthand for a group of um, high-powered women candidates in um, in well-heeled, affluent, inner um, major city electorates mm. at the 2022 mm. election. And we didn't give ourselves that title. That's what the media used. And I think I'm comfortable with it, except to the extent that we we recognize, and this is something we grappled a lot a lot with in the campaign. We recognize that right now, um, we you don't want the idea taking hold that teal means affluent white professional women in rich electorates. And like I'm really comfortable. It's great, for instance, that Helen Haynes continued with Kathy's Orange and um, in the state elections up in um, Benambra, Jackie Hawkins used yellow. So there is that diversity, but there's two issues around, um, around the movement, I think. One is, especially with federal campaigns where there's no donation caps and no spending caps, and we were up against the liberal machine where mm. I think it's quite possible that Josh spent three mil, up to $3 yeah. oh, million yeah. dollars is that um, you, you needed yeah, this is you needed to throw a lot yeah. of money at that campaign and you need to have people who can afford to step away from their jobs for six months mm-hmm. and not worry about their mm-hmm. income. So you and were so, a volunteer, for example, weren't you? I and was Rob, a volunteer. And yeah. Rob Bailey, they tried to pay him, but he'd, he'd donate most of it back. Like <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was a lot of yeah. a lot of volunteers, yeah. a lot of high, you know. Yeah, yeah. We only had four paid staff on the campaign and they were young people who yeah. – um, young people who, who needed, you know, who needed incomes or who had stepped away from jobs yes. to do yes. this. Um, yeah. So, uh, so there's a real, there's a concern about the, the, the ongoing, not the, not the, not the long-term viability, but we need to have uh, a broader diversity in mm. our candidates and in the electorates mm. that independents can run in. Mm. We need um, like Monique certainly reflects her electorate um, we've got a large group, uh, 25%, no, 12% Chinese in Kuyong. Mm. And um, they're one of our brilliant volunteers, um, um, Chinese, who kind of led our Chinese engagement strategy. We tried to convince her to run for Q because we were really conscious that we want some diversity um, in the candidates and we want candidates who reflect the, you know, across the electorate. But, um, you, you know, she was she was wedded to her job, which is understandable. But there's issues, I think, around um, less well-heeled electorates and how does the movement make it possible? And uh, you know, in the future, are there ways of supporting people to be able to step away from their jobs? You know, and and campaign teams. The rural, I think, the teal. It's hard to know. The teal brand probably does not play well in rural areas because you know it's like we're just horrible rich city people would be the perception i think and it's a there's lots of capital social capital in those rural electorates but um 
the but different skill sets and different kinds of campaigns. So I, I'm not bothered about Teal as branding, except to the extent that it may make it difficult to run independent candidates in a broader range of diverse yeah. electorate, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's that's my concern too. I, I think regional and rural it is sort of a, it's a much different sense of both. Well, we're very different than these rich Wellhill progressives and yeah. uh, Climate 200 is so closely branded with the Teals now that it would be a net negative for Simon Simon's group to fund. And that that's... I suppose for me, um, I think it's really important if the independence movement is to grow that 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 Helen Haynes gets one or two regional candidates to um, to to back her, so that 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 whole conversation between the regionals and the city, the city can start to understand the regionals, and the re and the regionals can not be horrified at the prospect of the the the, the city people dominating. It's it, it's a very interesting, um, very interesting conundrum. I think for the for the movement to face. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you agree but with I that? Out, oh, I point out that um, in Wannon, which has always been a liberal electorate in mm. the in Western Victoria, um, with towns like Hamilton, um, and I think Warrnambool's in it. Yeah, it, it is. It's always been liberal. Alex Dyson did an amazing job as a Climate 200-backed independent. And he got an extraordinary swing. Mm. Uh, he didn't win it. But then and Carol Altman, she, uh, in the state election, ran a, um, ran as an independent in Warrnambool. She, uh, she wasn't backed by Climate 200. But I see, um, I think it's a combination of demographic change in some of the rural electorates, but also... You know, lots of farmers are really pro-climate action. Mm, yeah. And lots of rural folk are um, um, kind of disgusted about integrity in politics issues. Mm. Um, so I think there there are themes that resonate in rural electorates. You know, Farmers for Climate Action is a is a great organization yes. that, you know, and there's lots of social capital around that. Um, because the mining, the national party seems to represent mining interests yeah. now, not not farmers' interests, certainly not climate change um, concerned interests. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential in rural and regional Australia for independence. Um, we were sort really. I was really sorry to see Ali Cupper, for instance, and Suzanne Sheed and Jackie Hawkins not get up at the recent state election. So two sitting independents who'd done a great job, who lost their seats. But I think that that was largely just um, the anti-lockdown um, resentment. Yeah, yeah. And and to me, it was interesting that um, none of the country or regional independents. Got got climate two hundred backing, but I, I I'm assuming they didn't ask for it. Just like Rob Priestley thought it was a negative to get climate two hundred funding in in Nichols, a rural seat next to Indi. Oh. So I sort of speculate, you know, in my in my own weird way, that I, I would like a regional funding vehicle that had a different approach because the the regions are huge geographically, much more diverse, um, and a different way of doing things in the country. So perhaps more a, 
a mentoring role to encourage local capacity building as you built built in in Kuyong and a just just a different style than the corporatist here here our experts will throw them in you know I just I'm just thinking about that and I just wonder if what your thoughts are on it yeah I think um I think there is some um, work going on especially um you know Kathy's leading her the community independence Mm. project Mm. uh, along with um train who had worked on she worked on she might have worked on Zali's campaign so North there is train, train might be North Sydney oh yes that Tina means, Jackson yeah, might be Warringah yes yeah. exactly yeah sorry that's right so there is that um it's great because there is a that organization that's working on exactly that mm. um and, and the capacity building and it's um you know, I've got, I think that's where the action will happen, but it would be also great if they could be supported and um, and support candidates with funding as well. Yes. Yeah. And donors being directed to them. Okay, a couple of last questions. There you are, a you know, top-level political scientist, <laughs> retired, and then really you embarked on a, an, on a journey where... Uh, your political science academic work must have just must have gone up in lights about what's this how do I define that you know how is this different how is this the same do do you have a sort of a a, a, an academic overview about what on earth happened that happened in in Kuyong what what its its meaning is in, in a in a from from a political scientist's perspective yeah it's a really that's a such a good question it's my um my old department at Melbourne Political Science we merged with sociology in you know in some bloody corporate restructure along the way there was so <laughs> no many you retired <laughs> well yeah things horrible like that. no <laughs> yeah but the great thing about being with the sociologists was that's where I learned to understand um, social movements and social action not from the political side of things and I okay. think it's if I'd approached Kuyong with my political science hat on, I might have, um, you know, I, I might have fallen prey to the fun of party politics and negative politics and trying to counter their move with another tricky mm. move. And mm. that would have turned people off yeah. completely. And so instead, I, I just took joy in seeing 2,000 people come together and and create this amazing thing and that's the sociologist way so so you can't really see a parallel in in Uh, look what's happened in in australian political history okay for sure and for sure and 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 early on look in the same way that uh the labor lost their left to Mm. the greens Mm. the liberals have lost their progressive wing yeah in uh to to the teals uh, to the urban independence and and deservedly so and margot i think you and i probably wrote books in the late 90s for the same reason sort of yep. horrified by um the rise of one nation and the what john howard did to the liberal party because yep. that's when the rot set in in it sure the liberal is party not that's happy john the, that's when the independents, you know, um, Ian McPhee, who was a, yeah. a true wet liberal, driven out, and he ended up endorsing, you know, um, Zoe Daniels. Fred Cheney, driven out of the party, the uncle of 
Kate Cheney, the new, the new um, teal for um, curtain. It's it, it, there's a there's a trajectory that's been going on for twenty years in the yeah. Liberal Party. They have just nuked yeah. their their moderate wing and their moderate wing. I mean, that was born in Kuyong. Menzies is from Kuyong. Yeah. Social liberalism going back to Deakin. Mm. We we are the cradle of mm. that kind of liberalism, mm. and we had so many people on Mon's campaign literally walk in the door saying, "I I was a liberal for yeah. forty years, and I mm. cannot stomach them, and I'm here. You know what can I do?" My my top moment of your campaign was when Josh dragged in Heather Menzies. Um, uh, I don't think that's her last name, but Heather uh, yeah. Menzies' daughter. Yeah to say, oh, please give Josh another chance, but the Liberal Party must change if it's to be my father's, you know, my father's legacy. And um, I remembered that when I wrote Not Happy John, I peppered the book with Menzian quotes from his Forgotten People radio talks because I was arguing that, it's, you know, they, they turned away from Menzian liberalism. And my publisher called and said, well, you've got to, you've got to, get, you've got to get permission from Menzies' estate for that. I mean, oh, so I sent the book to Heather and she rang up and said, oh, it'd be my pleasure to give you, um, to, to give you permission. So th- there's been, oh, feelings over many, many years. And it, it seems to me that it actually took the bushfires and COVID and the, 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 the Women's March for Justice and, and what that, what oh, that yeah. meant, that those three things suddenly came together and, and uh, enough ordinary people said, oh, actually, I'd like to, I'd like to do something. You know, it's, uh, it's been fascinating to watch for me. For, for me, it, the, the, the Hanson phenomenon has, has gradually taken them further and further right to shore up their right and, and they have, the, the result is a split in the party in a unique way. Not the Democrats, not the DLP, not but this group of yeah. independents. But it strikes me that there one, there could be moves to form a new party, and two, if we're not careful, that the the movement could come to be seen as a party. Um, uh, and I think that yeah. would be uh, devastating because the whole thing about the independence movement is you've got your own colour, the colour of your seat, that despite common values that there's different emphases that, and that you bring the colours together in the parliament to actually constructively find a way forward. So that's my rave. Do you have anything to say to that? No, no, I can't. No. I've got to say, I've got to say, Margo, after day after when Ron was elected and we were like, Oh my God! What do we do next? Um, Have a take a break. I, I, well, we couldn't. We couldn't. And I said, like, there's no phone number in Canberra for us to call to say, well, what do we do? Like, no. But it, and if we had been a party, you know, we would have been surrounded then with, oh, here's your staff. Here's what happens next. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you'll get your electorate office. Here's how many staff you get. We didn't, and, and we had to like scrape and and claw to get that information mm. uh, and not even knowing literally who do we call in Canberra to ask mm. you know if we 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 laughed then saying it would be a hell of a lot easier if we were a party you know on the Monday morning after the election but no that would destroy that would destroy the moment it would 
because then party politics would happen, there'd be membership, there'd be debates over platforms, and suddenly you've got people t um, adopting policy positions that don't reflect your electorate values. Um, and you lose control then over who you choose to be your representative. It, it, it would be easier, but it would destroy the, the whole purpose of the movement in my view. And, and as we've discussed, every campaign was different. It depends on the people. It depends on the seat. It depends on the, the mix. You know, for example, Susie Holt and Groom, she had to somehow get preferences of the far right, which is a, you know, 20% of the vote, you yeah. know. Yeah. And and she got it by turning up at at um, at candidates forums where none of the big players would turn up because it was full of Federation Party and UAP and One Nation anti vaxxers and they ended up all preferencing her because she showed up and had a yeah. listen and you know yeah. it's, it's so it's all so different and you know another sort of funny worry I have is that maybe there'll be an attempt to 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 centralise it in terms of guidebooks and how tos and uh, you know, I, it's it's a funny thing that is it, is it that that philosopher Loffler, Eric Loffler or Hoffler, who said all movements Hoffler, become yeah. commodities, become rackets. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's, it's it's so delicate to keep this incredible vibration and this this um, reinvigoration and 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 repair and transformation of our democracy. It's sort of um, it, it's going to be a very very interesting road ahead, isn't it? With the main parties are going to respond with their listening posts and all, and you know, their their fake candidates. There's going to be attempts to infiltrate <laughs> this movement. There's been a, going yeah. to be other climate two hundreds. It, it's it's a maelstrom after a zeitgeist yeah. shift. So, my last question is, what part would you like to pay in that, or would, or, or is it time for for you to express your your feelings in 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 watercolors again? Watercolor. <laughs> Look, it was when I um. Uh, I went to Canada after sort of passing the, after getting Mon's electorate office and parliamentary office set up, I was really happy to pass the baton on to a new team. And I went to Canada, you know, visit my family for the first time since the pandemic began. That was great. And I stayed away. I didn't pay attention. But then when, when I got back, I had not been home for half an hour in September when Rob Bailey showed up on my front porch with a sign for my local uh, independent candidate for the, the state election. And uh, I duly put up my sign and then I said, let me know if you want me to help. So I sort of got dragged in just to help. I didn't have a formal role. Yeah. And I, it was actually, it was a real honour and a privilege to when people would call and say, I've got this problem or this obnoxious person from the Murdoch media is has made this demand what do we do it was a, a great thrill and pleasure to be able to say yeah you, I'll help you with that don't worry don't worry you'll so, survive so so one final question I mean I thought Brooks Brooke did a, a great big picture uh, account but I would like to see a book on Kuyong. I'd like to see a book on McKellar. I'd like to see a book on Wannan, um, done by volunteers or or, or whatever. Exactly. Do, do you? Is there anything yeah. in mind in Kuyong or anything you're thinking of, to, or an academic paper on 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 what <laughs> what happened in the in the literally unwinnable seat? I, I sort of kept a diary by accident. It was just I, like this. Is, I'm very old school, so I literally kept 
filled notebooks with notes every day um, just to keep on top of things. So that's all there. But I don't think I'm the one. The, the, the whole point of this movement would be if our volunteers wrote a book and we, and we used all the photos that we took yes. uh, in that. And so I think, I think there had been, uh, there's a lot of interest in making something like that happen, but the state elections got in the way and yeah. people barely had time to catch their breaths and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're back door knocking again. So I'd still like to see something like that happen, um, but it'll got, have to come from the people. I've got a, I've got a last question, actually. The, the state thing did come very early after in Victoria and yeah. I, I presume a lot of groundwork hadn't been done, like what are the issues and all that sort of stuff. How, how would you um, explain the fact that the, the, um, that, that Homes of Courts Teals didn't, didn't win a seat at, at the state yeah. election? So I, I feel pretty qualified to talk about that because I was in one of those seats and worked and helped on the Q campaign in particular. Um, there, there's a, a couple of factors. One is that, as you know, we're not a party. Most mm. people that say, yeah, I'm a Labour voter, you know, I'm a Liberal. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. I, yeah. So with an independent, nobody ever says, yeah, I'm an independent. So there's a massive amount of work that just goes on in candidate ID, people yep. knowing that yep. there's somebody running and then making sure that people are comfortable with their, you know, understand their values and yep. they, they don't have a party platform, so they don't yep. have policies across yep. anything. That's a huge amount of work. And my first comment would be that the, the, our campaign simply ran out of time yeah. that that momentum was building and people were getting excited but we probably needed another month yeah. you know months campaign they're like six months campaigns yeah. Yeah. that we ran and these ones for the state were less than three months yeah. the second thing that happened was that um uh it's a, it was a state it so there wasn't the the morrison government that yeah so disgusted yes. people and brought so many people to us yes. and there wasn't the that antipathy towards the andrews government wasn't there i know it was palpable in some of the outer suburbs and regional areas but it wasn't it didn't feel that way in q and hawthorne because people had people didn't have really tough lockdowns in these you know people could work yeah. from home and didn't yeah. lose their jobs yeah. so so there wasn't so there that there wasn't that as well and then that the, the the other thing, Q and Hawthorne, Q's always been liberal. We did secure a big swing yeah. against the liberal candidate. So it's an ultra marginal electorate. And that, that went in the face of uh, like similar electorates around us, which had big swings to the liberals. So we know that there was a real impact in Sophie mm. Torney running as an independent. But it, it it was um it was hard the campaign team having to get their head around all new set of electoral laws the the caps on fundraising um having it come so soon after the federal election there there were just a lot of hurdles and in the end um while i'm really i was disappointed with the actual outcome i was pretty thrilled that we could see the impact and that we could see the appetite for an independent at state level. So, and Mornington is still, yeah. it's still on a knife edge. Yeah. So, yeah. And Hawthorne, um, Hawthorne was a tough campaign because there was already a Labour member in Hawthorne. Yes. But 
of course, everybody knew that freakish. the deal was yeah. running against the yeah. Liberals because, the, but the the demographics, Hawthorne will mm. go progressive at the next election. The demographics are yeah. not in the yeah. Liberals' favour there. Yeah. So it was three different, three very different electorates, um, not dissimilar outcomes, but. Um, I think a lot of optimism for future state campaigns. Okay, last last question: What happened? What what role is it's, it's very interesting for all the voices campaigns, which um, whether you're lost or won. What is your role after the election? Ah, oh, well, I think it's particularly um, with Mon's campaign, where there were so many volunteers. It will be, and one of the things I'm really looking forward to doing is re-engaging with her electorate office uh, and talking about how um, really working out how to do ongoing meaningful community engagement and community development. Mm -hmm. um, so um, keeping the Teal Army rumbling, um, but continuing to build that social capital, but mm. in really meaningful ways. And I think, for instance, I would love to get involved in um, engaging with the electorate about the voice to parliament. Yeah. Monique campaigned in support of that. Yes, yes. And I think there's a real role for Monique and her army of volunteers to engage the community broadly around mm. that in the same way that volunteers um, engage the community across mm. Australia in the marriage equality debate. Mm. So I think there's lots of exciting and fun things that we can do. Uh, and hopefully they'll find somebody else to manage the next um, Monique's campaign for re-election in 2025. <laughs> Better find another campaign manager by then. Are you like so many volunteers at all levels who go, oh, actually, I've had the time of my life? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think Brooke tells a story in the book. Um, after the election day when we finished at the polls and I drove Monique home so she could get dressed for our party and I, I said to her, I'm going to take you on my very favourite drive through the electorate, pa pass down all these streets that were literally wall-to-wall -wall Monique core flutes and we were looking out the window and I said, oh, there's a nice picture of you. There's a nice picture of you. And then we both went really quiet and I looked at her and I was starting to choke up and I said, this is the best thing I have ever done in my life. And she looked at me and she said, me too. And we both burst into tears and, and we thought we were going to lose that at that moment. And so we said, what the hell are we going to do now? So, um, yeah. <laughs> and look, and look, look what you're both doing now. Thank you so yeah, much yeah. For, for talking with me, Anne. It's, um, it's just been absolutely delighted. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Margot, and thank you so much for your support of the independence movement. Well, it's uh, in my in my book in two thousand and four. One of my ten ideas for for change in our democracy was we, we've got to get liberal independence. So it's been a long time coming, <laughs> and I'm so glad that I've been able to report the journey. It, it feels like a completion for me, you know. After yeah. the Hanson opened my eyes, the yeah. Hanson experience opened my eyes. Thank you again. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed this Snowflakes podcast. Until next time, goodbye.